0: Bonsu a la société pitita mué. Bonsu a Messier. We Messier mata con tu ban. We Messier mata
1: con tu ban. howdy friends. Welcome to the Raised by Whoops Fake Radio Show. I got a program for you today. I got a guest. Her name is Kirsten Lewis, and I'm very happy to say she's a pal, a new friend. She is a photographer, a journalist, a woman of many interests, and just an interesting human being. I was very fortunate to meet with in person in our van, which I love doing. That we uh, we got to hang out with Kirsten and her partner Mitch who's also a friend. And uh, yeah, it was great. We had a good time. It's a good chat. not going to say too much about it because, you know, that's what you're about to listen to, right? The whole chat. Kirsten Lewis. You can check her out if you want to learn more about Kirsten and her work, beautiful photography, her books. She's just a very dynamic, uh, productive human being. And her website, um, she's going to tell you a bunch of them at the end of the program, And I'll put links up on the website as well. Uh, But it's KirstenLewisPhoto.com is a good place to get to uh, many things. And she's also on Instagram. And I forget her handle. It's like, uh, here, look, I'll just look it up. We're going to do it real time. Kirsten L. Photog at Kirsten L. Photog. And she's got one of those link tree things. And you can find everything that Kirsten does. I had a really great time talking to her and hanging out with her and Mitch. What a treat, huh? Real live conversations recorded for you, listener, friend, pal. I'm also going to tell you, while I'm hyping Kirsten's work, which I'm a big fan of, I also wrote a book. It's called The Moron at the End of This Book, and it's out there, moronbook.com. You can get one, leave a review on Amazon, Goodreads book bub, lots of places that could use some feedback. It's it's doing surprisingly well. I thought no one would buy it and someone has. And how about the people out there reading my book? So dad dadgum happy. Alright, if you got questions for us, go to rbwpod.com forward slash contact. Let us know what you think of the show. Reach out to Kirsten. You know, enjoy yourself. Share. Enjoy. This is it for me. I'm signing off. Enjoy this conversation with Kirsten Lewis. Till next time, we've
0: got a we we Give me
1: Thank you for coming to our van. I'm glad you're here in uh, in Berkeley. Yeah. You've been in Martinez. Yeah. Which is a place I live, what, like an hour from? Didn't even know it existed. Yeah. What are you doing here? What's going on? Tell me what you guys are doing here.
2: Um, I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> uh, my partner is here um, at a arborist event for the weekend, learning how to be a better tree climber. But not for going up in trees and like trimming them. Or I feel like yeah. I'm speaking very ignorantly about that. But learning,
1: learning how to climb for fun, not yeah. for, but professionally for fun.
2: Yeah, because he owns a recreational tree climbing company. So what, what's it called? What's the name? Tree Climbing Colorado.
1: Tree Climbing. Very, I can't, I'm a little ashamed I forgot the name of that. Yeah. <laughs> It's like forgetting the name. What's uh, gin and tonic? Uh, what's, what's it called again? Oh, yeah. Fucking gin and tonic. I was going to yeah. say,
0: yeah. I
2: think it's exactly. just a gin and tonic.
1: <laughs> exactly. Tree Climbing Colorado. The yeah. goddamn ingredients are in the name.
2: Yeah, It's true. Yeah.
1: So you're out here. You're not learning about trees. No. You've, but you've been out here hanging out, doing some work. Yes. And your work is?
2: And my work, well... I'm not actually doing that work while I'm here. Um, I'm doing all the back end work, which is very right. boring. But I am a professional photographer.
1: Yes. You're a very specific type of, I feel like I'm asking you this in like a, like we're in a second grade class and I'm trying to get you to give me the right answer. <laughs> what the fuck am I doing? You
2: know, actually, to be honest, I'm being weird about answering it okay. because, uh or i when people ask me what I do, I get this all the time. I travel a lot and, you know, whether I'm in an Uber or sitting in um, on a plane, uh, people just want to talk to me. And I always get the question, what do you do? And all I say is I'm a photographer in the beginning because yeah. I don't just photograph one thing. Right. Um, I could say I'm a visual storyteller because I'm getting into Audio component and narration and all that, but.
1: And journalism.
2: And journalism, yes. Well, it started as a, um, as an editorial photographer for a magazine. Right. And I worked for them contract for about eight years. Uh, But yeah, it's, all my work is rooted in storytelling. But I, I'll shoot births. Yes. I was on a bar and bat mitzvah kick for like three years because of other work and, Mm -hmm. Then they just kept hiring me for the events. I did weddings for like ten years and that was really awful. Um, not awful, but it not for me in the end. <laughs> like that makes it <laughs> sound terrible for all my poor
1: Yeah, your clients
2: clients. I love all my clients. Of I course. just didn't love the work in the end. Sure, sure. Um
1: it's because we're in a vehicle that's <clears throat> that you're like standoffish about telling me you what you're
2: doing. <laughs> uh but now like the majority of my income has been uh I travel around the world, and I'm hired privately by families to photograph their life. Usually, spending between 24 and 72 hours with them.
1: Yeah, it's and what's it called? What don't you have like a cool name for what you do? I thought you.
2: Okay, so ready? It's a little bit like the Tree Climbing Colorado (laughs) documentary family photography. It's
1: exactly like the (laughs) Tree Climbing Colorado.
0: (laughs) documentary family
1: photographer <laughs> All right, so the the reason I, we're sitting together uh your partner's brother is my pal.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh Brett Magdevitz. We've yep. got Mitch Magdevitz in the car along with my my wife Tiffany Couch and our dog. We're all hanging out in the streets of Berkeley. He's got shit to say. <laughs> Evidently, he's growling at passersby. We're, we've just had a great meal and I've been wanting to talk to you since Brett told me what you did for a oh. living. He was like, oh, yeah, this is Kirsten. She's got a really cool thing going on. She does a type of photography that she kind of created in a yeah. sense that you are like an embedded journalist who's mm-hmm. not in a war zone specifically, but in the war zone that is the human existence in a home of families and children and shit going on like
2: that. The irony is uh, when I first started shooting, I was living in Richmond, Virginia, so I would say this would have been two thousand four. I crossed paths with someone who offered me a war photography job, but I had to leave like within a week. um I forget which conflict it was what it would have been in like two thousand four, but uh, my mother begged me don't don't take the job, please don't take the job. It mm. was good money mm. um, it gave me the opportunity to like i don't know there's this. I'm not going to lie, there's a certain thrill uh, to get access to life as a photographer that you don't normally get. And, you know, being in my early 20s and all I wanted to do was shoot and, yeah, I was really interested in taking that job. Now I talk about war photography. I teach a lot and I reference iconic war photographs all the time and stories behind it and controversies and um assumed roles that the photographers had and what they didn't didn't do um and now i'm really grateful that i didn't take that job because war photographers sacrifice basically their souls their minds their hearts uh for the public to do what they do um you give up You're so empathetic, you have to give up empathy in order to do that job well and stay sane.
1: I heard someone recently talking about being in Ukraine, and uh, it was the woman who got that shot. It's like famous of the family that was running away. It was like kind of earlier in the conflict, and it was one of the first like very obvious civilian casualties of the Um, war
2: was, was like it Lindsay Dario
1: I think so the mother and the daughter with like the backpack on it, yeah. I mean it was like a concussive thing they Lindsay even... is
2: probably the most famous female war photographer she shot uh war pregnant yes yeah yeah it's yeah. probably Lindsay it was yeah.
1: um it was really strange to hear her talk about it because she was clearly aware of the humanity of the thing I mean, that's the, mm-hmm. the thing you're trying to show and would normally not show a, a dead Person's face, you know, mm-hmm. norm, I mean, normally never, but this, this ethics, you usually is, don't do that, right? Yeah. But in this circumstance, it was just too, too illustrative of what the problem and what was happening, and like the mm-hmm. actual stakes of this thing that they actually published. Yeah, the photo. It's like, oh my god, I can't even imagine. And like when you're making choices, taking shots of people, having to take that kind of agency of a moment and say, okay, I'm gonna take this shot, and then we'll see what happens later, yeah. I mean, you so I want to get to stuff like this, but I kind of want to lay out a little bit more exactly what you're doing, because it's not just that you're embedding with any old family, which I'm I don't know that there is any old family, but a lot of times it's pretty special circumstances that would prompt someone to hire a photographer to come live with them for a while.
2: Uh, Well, you'd be surprised. Yeah. Before COVID, on average, I was shooting about 20 families a year, uh, all out of the state or out of the country. And, yeah, for the most part, they're just families that wanted the alternative to the traditional portrait, right? Yeah. They wanted to be able to encapsulate um, what life looks like in in that time mm-hmm. uh, of their kid's upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the beauty is, well, I have this theory that you only need one good photo of every milestone and I learned that from a friend of mine who's a photographer who like just completely blew my mind when he talked about photographing his own kids and that he he just needs one good picture from every milestone whether it's a vacation or a year uh or um what have it be a birthday or whatever and I feel the same way if you like expand that idea you only need like one day cover one day of the year and that'll probably sum up right where your kids are at at that point in their life um developmentally
1: yeah i can not i mean it just seems like such a I, i'm sort of an insular guy you know i mean i know that sounds not real cuz you're sitting in what used to be my living room <laughs> and we're like you know next to where i wash my face you know uh but that Having someone live in your home to capture you and to take photos of you and to like get a sense what your kids were like when they were nine Mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, like that's such a strange thing to me to to envision wanting to do. But in the way, having seen some of your work, you showed me a book Mm -hmm. that you're you're working on. It'll be coming out soon. And it was such an engaging thing for someone with no children.
2: Oh, yeah, so see that's very exciting. So I made a dummy of the book, and the majority of people that I've been looking at it, um from really important people in my industry, but outside of documentary family work um to my partner's friends to uh you name it you um the response has been so positive, so mm-hmm. that gets me very excited that yeah. the my work. What I have to say, what I want to share is universal and entertaining and insightful and um, could possibly be mindset shifting. Um, This is all part of like my goal for the book. Um, So that's exciting. Yeah. You don't have kids. You looked at it from the beginning to the end, Mm -hmm. like with interest and um, investment. Yeah, in it, and that is super exciting for me.
1: It's the kind of thing that even if you hadn't been sitting there <laughs> next to <laughs> me, I would have still gladly looked through, mm-hmm. uh, and knowing what your future plans are for it, which I won't spoil here. But uh, it is a, it's a unique type of book, and I'm I'm excited for you to do that. Did Did you come from like a creative family? Were you mm-hmm. was your family
2: very long line of yeah. artists? Yes. Um. By, do you want me to wait? <laughs> okay.
1: Of course, right. When we're you, getting you don't some, want
2: the hum of the. I mean, that's a very <laughs> the downtown city bus. I
1: kind of like a diesel. You know <laughs> that that may be propane. I don't know. It's if it was just a little bit longer, I could tell. Ooh, uh, hybrid electric. It so sound very electric
2: directly. Sorry. My father's dad, my grandfather, was a very prolific upright bass player. What was his name? Uh, oh my God! What's wrong
1: with me? old invisible jones jack lewis jack lewis jack
2: lewis and uh from ohio and Mm -hmm. he played for a living that's what he did nice um yeah
1: so from jack lewis
2: from jack lewis to why the ingredients are in the name you know i want to i want to circle back for a second why i was like oh my god i just forgot his name for a minute i didn't have a lot of relationship with my dad's family and I've got some trauma around learning about my father's family and mm-hmm. wanting to disassociate associate from even I can't even believe I come from some of that genealogy. So that's kinda of why I was like oh. Sure. Oh I
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, um
2: My father is uh was kinda of doesn't do it anymore but um an actor and uh been a musician uh since he was very young, following in his father's footsteps, but plays the guitar in the bass guitar. But he was in his first band with Joe Walsh oh, from the wow. Eagles. Yeah, yeah. Called the Measles.
1: The Measles. No it, shit.
2: Yeah. And wow. they were um, quite popular and toured and um, yeah. They were on the festival circuit and it was then uh, Joe joined the James Gang and then the Eagles. Uh, so it was the band before the James Gang. Wow. Um, but I grew up going to see my dad on stage very young very 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 young Uh, my mother is she's a photographer but also a really beautiful painter and she does beadwork And a um there was really nothing in art she can't do that's cool uh honestly but in terms of photography especially growing up she excelled any art show she entered she would win best in show really boston new york Connecticut, Rhode Island, any, any time she entered, um, and my pops, my stepdad, who basically raised me alongside my father, um, he also a photographer and he's really the one who taught me photography really young. Like I, I can remember being, we always had a dark room in my house. And so I remember being, I don't know, as young as five or six, learning to use the darkroom, and that was a very special time for me every time I got to be in the darkroom. I never really did it with my mother, only my pops, Um, but multiple times a week for many years, there's much magic and nostalgia attached to that process of printing photos for me. Um, But his dad and grandparents were... American illustrators and his grandfather, CE Chambers, was a very, very famous um illustrator, uh, who worked alongside Norman Rockwell, like that. Um yeah. yeah, that crew of artists back then. And so I was raised with countless original paintings in my house. And very young I had a, a just a gravitation towards creating things with my whole body, whether it is my hands, or I was singing and dancing and and acting very young as well. Um, but I do attribute a lot of my interest in the arts with those paintings and studying them and trying to replicate them and learning from them, uh, very young. Yeah,
1: yeah. I don't normally do this because. I knew that, you know, from being in your house. I knew that you came from crazy yeah. people. I wanted you to get I wanted to get you talking about that. Yeah. That one painting is super cool. Yeah. The one that's like in the window. I don't know if you've probably got, moved it since then.
2: I got to get one.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean it's such <laughs> just, like a just one. Yeah. yeah. It's a really cool thing to have and to have anybody showing you darkroom stuff at any age is cool. But as a mm-hmm. child, I mean what a amazing way to learn the virtue of patience. hmm delayed gratification like (laughs) we've shot this stuff and we've been waiting and now we're going to wait a little bit more And it's right here it's all about to come out you just got to wait and what a cool thing to learn
2: yeah was he?
1: was he like kind of mercurial like what was his style in teaching that sort of stuff was it mechanical or was he
2: my pops he did lots of teaching whether it was had a drive and by that (laughs) <laughs> it was how to change your tire, how to mm-hmm. change the oil, where is everything located on the engine. He was very specific, tactile. Um, and I, from what I recall, it was very ritual in terms of uh, this is how we set up the dark room. This is how we get all of the chemicals ready. Um, don't do X, Y, and Z because that could be dangerous. That could burn. Uh, This could ruin the paper. Uh, He was meticulous about you do not open the door if the outside light is on, because they would turn a light on and off to let you know if it was safe to come into the room. Um, But then, once those mechanical aspects of the printing were out of the way, he, he did make it magical as well. But he also explained why he was doing what he was doing or why we're burning or dodging this part of the picture. And the best part is like when you put the paper in the developer and there's nothing and then there's everything. Yeah. Yeah. To watch it appear. There's very few things I think are more magical, especially as a kid than that. Yeah. Because it doesn't make any sense.
1: It's a second photo moment. Yeah. You know, like when you actually fire the shutter. Yeah. And you're watching a thing unfold. You don't know if you've caught it. Yeah. You think you have, you know, you've, you've got like a a touch and a feel for it, but when you finally see it, that's another moment, you know, that's like as, as powerful as that moment you're trying to capture the essence of whatever you're seeing. Mm -hmm. That's super cool. Yeah. Do you, I mean, you're, you're a teacher now Mm -hmm. and that's a big part of what you're doing. Do you feel like you learned that early, like the value of teaching a thing? Did you, Did you pick up on that or is that something you got later on?
2: Uh, Well, my, I ended up going to school for elementary education. I did not end up getting a degree with that in that. It's a long story. So I ended up getting a minor in education and a degree in child psychology, but I worked as a kindergarten and first grade teacher. And then I went and worked with special needs um, in a, self-contained classroom which would have been k through two as well uh teaching has always come fairly easy to me uh instinctual Hmm. and i do think that teaching small children how to read write and add and subtract very fundamental important things learning how to break down concepts we take for granted and make them easy for people that have never done it before that has aided in me. I feel like just being an effective instructor and in no matter what it is that I'm teaching, I think my brain just automatically goes to like very basic fundamental um steps or explanation for why I do what I do or how I do. What I do, yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, to break something down for somebody is a great way to understand it better yourself, for one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But to to break it down and have them like, I mean, yes, yeah, see the utility of a thing. It's like, okay, yeah, what what do I need to know algebra for?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I used to go through this as a kid, and there was a moment where I suddenly learned. Uh, it's not that you're just learning the facts in a history class, or you know the dates, or you're learning whatever root fact in whatever class you're taking, you're learning how to learn. Mm-hmm. And when that finally clicked with me, I was like, oh, it doesn't really matter. I'm just learning how to interpret information coming in and somehow integrate it into my life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's not that I'm going to be using algebra in my daily life. It's that I'm going to use the problem-solving skills that I'm, you know, flexing that muscle, whatever, proving, what the fuck is algebra anyway? You're proving something. <laughs> X is X right? Is it Y? I don't know. Doesn't Al- matter.
2: Algebra makes way more s- algebra makes way more sense to me than calculus. Calculus is not really math. <laughs> <laughs> it's like some sort of magic. imaginary numbers and yeah. theory. Mm. I don't. I'm, I n- I'm never very triggered there. by a conversation about we, we can stop right now.
1: <laughs> we can stop right here right now. No more talk about math.
2: It's the first time ever in my entire academic career that I just straight up failed a class because I yeah stumped yeah.
1: But that's a kind of a cool feeling though. No, what? Is it really no. fuck with you? <laughs> it's you just can't shame. deal. Shame.
2: It's just shame that like washes shame. all over you. Like oh man. <laughs> so now I just have anger that's replaced the shame <laughs> towards You're an entire concept of, of mathematical math. equations.
1: In lieu of, of these, I have anger.
2: Yes, I just. All my anger gets directed yeah. right towards calculus. Calculus
1: plus me yeah. equals yeah. anger. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay, well, well let's change the subject <laughs> immediately. <laughs> uh, but you're, you've, you've learned how to learn, and you've learned how to teach others how to learn.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
1: uh, like, you were just, I mean, a few days before you came out here, you had a whole bunch of adults from all over the country, all over the world. I mean, where, where do all these people come from? I
2: did have one person from Canada. Oh, and another person from Hong Kong, so yes, around the world. yeah,
1: I mean, Canada is a whole other universe. <laughs> Say that with the it's Canadian where All the nice people live: It, it is Canada? That's what makes it such a weird universe yeah.
2: like, what the fuck it's, like it's like a magical It's yeah. not even real. Place. Somehow calculus
1: put all I, the politeness
2: I know. in the Canadians, and I the rest know. of us got
1: <laughs> just loathing. I know <laughs> but so so you had this, this this multinational multi-universal group in your home. And you're teaching them about the documentary family
0: photography. But not really. Okay.
2: <laughs> we 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 touched on that. Okay. But like with my teaching, yes, I especially in the beginning, I taught documentary family photography. That's what everyone wanted to learn. Mm-hmm. But in the end, that's not really what I want to teach. The thing is, like I don't want to teach people how to shoot like me. I don't want to teach people how to use their camera. That's not where my best gifts are in terms of photography or teaching. Um, Really, I teach about storytelling and I teach about, I teach others how to use a camera as a means of communicating as a tool to communicate what they think about the world. Um there's lots of different teachers out there that can teach you what to think. Um I I strive to teach people um to figure out why they think the way they do and how to visually articulate that to the world.
1: Yeah, how to learn. I mean that's because mm-hmm. you are constantly in a creative environment, whether you're taking pictures of it, whether you're recording it, whether mm-hmm. you're making music, music in it, mm-hmm. you're interpreting data,
0: mm-hmm.
1: whatever mm-hmm. it is, mm-hmm. sadness, the angst of being uh, incapable of calculus, whatever it is, you're interpreting that data and making it accessible to people who are not here. Yes. They're not there in front of you, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I, when you and I first met, I was in Colorado. Mm-hmm. I'd been recording my uncle. Yes, it was in his 80s and he's um, going through some serious shit. Yes. And uh, I, I wanted to record his life story. He invited me out to tell his life story, but I don't, he didn't know I was going to record it and I was weirded out by the fact that I was setting up all this stuff. I was like, God, oh, I didn't tell you this is, this is for posterity. He's like, really? Yeah. I was like, man, this is the ear. As I put the microphone up, I was like, this is the ear of unborn people. This is the future. Like we haven't this is, talked
2: about this, but this is interesting that you're, you're saying this. Yeah,
1: because that, as, as a journalist, as any kind of documentarian, you are representing the consciousness of beings who don't exist. That's right. And that's such a weird thing, you know, to, to be the custodian of that. Or not even the custodian, you're just like this weird conduit between now and this non-existent thing that hopefully is coming.
2: I'd like to think of you as a bridge, right? Between the past and the future. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. When I, I get people all the time initially will say, I don't know. I would, I would never want you in my house or I, oh, you don't want to photograph me or all the different excuses, whether it be they're not happy with their physical bodies in that moment uh, They're not happy with their physical spaces. M- house is messy, right. or they think their lives are boring, or all of that.
1: All the things, yeah.
2: All the reasons are fears of shame. They're just afraid that uh, I'm going to judge them, or the outside world's going to judge them, which is, we talked about this, likely, basically the premise for my book and the purpose for my book. But what I try to explain to them is, um, I don't mean to be super direct but the I don't care about what you think for the pictures like they're not about you they're not for you um I yeah. mean initially I guess you can look at them as you get older you can look back and remember your kids at a certain age but um the the photos are for the kids like there's like this this very interesting phenomenon that we've all all of us sitting in here, except maybe your dog, but maybe two um that we all experience called uh pediatric uh, amnesia and it is uh this this phenomenon where our brains do not retain memory up until a certain age really it's around age seven or eight that we start retaining concrete memory uh in we all can have like fleeting moments that are in our brains in terms of like maybe what it looked like out your grandmother's window when you were three or traumatic events. um, Sometimes children will remember uh, loud noises or excitement that can, that can embed memory that lasts. But for the most part, our memory does not start to stick until around seven or eight interestingly enough and i don't know if this has been studied that is also when personality starts to like start to build a foundation is around 7 um so for me personally my daughter is just 7 now and that means she's just starting to start to like formulate memory of relationships specifically So if I die tomorrow, even though I have this amazing relationship with my daughter, it's very close. She's super attached to me. We laugh. We have inside jokes. If I die tomorrow as an adult, she's not going to remember me, let alone like she'll have like a few, a few fleeting moments that she might hold on to. But for the most part, definitely not our relationship. And so to have my life photographed with my daughter is in imperative to me uh because I want evidence of that relationship before she's able to remember it even if I live to be 100 yeah. I want her to be able to look back and see w- what we what we yeah. had what we shared yeah. um for a multitude of reasons,
1: yeah, I mean just I, don't know, I mean my my wife and I have been together for about twenty years. Mm-hmm. We met on my twenty first birthday hmm. and uh we had some breaks, but we've known each other and been intimate for like twenty four year twenty three mm-hmm. years long last time and the number of relationships we've gone through with each other mm. is I mean, it's a lot. We've changed, yeah. we've both changed. We've grown, grown yeah. together. You've
2: Basically grown up together because, yeah. oh, yeah. You're still kind of a kid in many ways in yeah. your early 20s. Yeah.
1: Uh, I thought you meant now. Yeah. yeah. Still. I mean, yeah.
2: <laughs> you're still, kind, you're of a still kid. kind of a kid. You could have just yeah, stopped true, there. Like... You finished the sentence. And...
1: <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, the the number of ways that the two of us changed together mm. is not insubstantial. It's a lot. And, mm-hmm. you know, thinking about the relationship between a mother and a daughter, what it's like as a child, And at those teenage years, Mm -hmm. you know, the college, all those different changes to be able to have a snapshot and any kind of memory of, God, that's when we used to do this and we did Mm -hmm. those things together. Oh, my God. Can you remember? You know, that is a beautiful thing to have those touch points. Yeah. But but I, I like what you were saying about the photos are not necessarily for you. It's like a wedding is not for the couple getting married. Mm. A funeral is not for the dead person. No. You know, there's certain things that are for, they're like a cultural phenomena that Mm -hmm. exist for the community and the the people that are around you. And like, I was thinking about this with music and film and how integral that is. Like, have have you ever seen like a film that you know well and someone puts different music behind it.
2: Whoa, no, but that would freak me out. It
1: fucks with your brain in an amazing (laughs) way. Like, if you put upbeat music on a dark film or vice versa, it changes everything. Everything you thought you could possibly be witnessing in something that is now familiar to you, because Mm -hmm. that story. And, like, culturally, in the the culture, our brain, uh, the society, having music tethered to story... Is inseparable. Mm. I mean, especially like you know, social media. It's con- mm-hmm. it's everywhere you look. Music and story are the same thing, and uh, and the way you integrate yourself into people's lives and capture these moments and these like, I don't know what you'd call. I mean, just the like specifically looking at your book, right? Mm-hmm. Some of the stuff that you captured in there was um, they were precious, just. I mean, it's the tiniest little bit of a memory. It's literally a flash of a memory Mm -hmm. that is inseparable from the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Just like music in your head is inseparable Mm -hmm. from the story that you heard. Those little, like it's a blink of an eye. It's faster than the blink of an eye. Shutter Mm -hmm. flash is the tiniest little exposure. But that tiny little exposure tells you the entire story. And it's this wild thing that I sometimes like, I used to be a photographer, I shot weddings and Mm -hmm. portraiture and uh, graduations and marathons and all this like Mm -hmm. (laughs) crazy shit, all in film, by the way, Mm -hmm. before the digital thing. And like, you know, you're watching these people have this whole experience and you're just, you're just trying to make sure that you're not getting their eyes closed. Mm -hmm. You know, that was the thing, like just trying not to catch grandma blinking, you know,
2: The beauty of digital is you can just hold down the shutter and ensure that you're going to get it with the eye open. (laughs) I
1: I love the way these moments and these things that you're capturing are not, it's not just for you. Like, I think the thing that illustrates that the best for me Mm
0: -hmm.
1: is have you ever gone through, I'm sure you have, you've gone through photographs that are not yours. Mm -hmm. Like someone, you're at someone's house Mm -hmm. and you're just, you you open up a thing and there's lots of pictures in it. You will roll past landscapes, mm-hmm. landscapes. But when you get to a photo with people in it, you stop
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you check it out. Mm-hmm. You look like what they're wearing, look at the shoes, look at this, yeah. this, you know. Everyone does that. I think most people do that. They look, if there's a person in the photo, you're suddenly engaged in a different way.
2: Uh, there's been a study about how humans respond to photographs. I mean, I know all sorts of weird facts about that, but one is that our brain hunts for a human in a photo. It naturally hunts for it. So the next time you're like looking at pictures if you're at the museum or whatever, mm-hmm. and say there's just a bunch of nature photos, you might catch yourself, your brain looking, looking for people, hunting for humans. Wow. Yeah. you, you keep subjects. saying hunting. Yeah.
1: Why do you? <laughs> well, just like just the Colorado one in you, you just no, no, just no, but.
2: <laughs> it's not just like you're glancing over
1: right, No, you're finding like,
2: it's literally like, yeah, yeah, Probably like programmed. a hunter, sure, like is scanning the the environment for signs of life, right? Yeah. right, like that's that's exactly what they're doing is hunting, and our brains are searching hard to try and identify some people? sort of sign of life, um. Human or friend probably or even animal, but yeah. specifically humans that we look for that yeah. in the environment. I think it's also probably because we're we're social mammals, right? Yeah. So
1: well, yeah, we need friends and need to know what the foes are. You yeah. Know? Is it yeah. friend, foe, or food? Yeah. What am I doing here? <laughs>
2: yeah. The, yeah. I've
1: got a. Uh, speaking of friends, um, my friend has this collection of photographs. They're um <clears throat> they're picture postcards, and it's from like about nineteen thirteen. Whoa. When uh, you could start writing on the back of a picture postcard. Okay. And he's got this crazy collection of Americana hunting, fishing. Yeah. And, and it's like insane to see the wildlife that used to exist in oh, this yeah. country. yeah. I mean, just rabbits. I mean, they would have these horrible, like, culling of of wild rabbits because they were eating all the crops. and Yeah. And they would just hunt these things.
2: Piles of dead rabbits.
1: Piles. An entire town. like.
2: And then yeah. and then those pictures of those became postcards?
1: Yes. Yes.
2: That you is should... a quite the... Dark. <laughs>
1: Fucking
0: dark. It's quite
2: the choice. Hell. Yeah. Hello from Montana. Like, yeah. <laughs> Greetings from Montana. It's just a pile dead, of dead rabbits. Furry
1: little adorable things. Oh it's like, look, God. I killed at least 100 of these. Oh, my uh, God. I mean, these photos are so weird and the people are so happy. Yeah. They're smiling. I'm really yeah.
2: into weird shit, so I'd probably like you this. You would love this yes. collection.
1: And yeah. some of it's really funny. Like there's a whole thing that used to be really big is they would like doctor photos. This okay. You'd see a guy like going like, you know, like like he's scared. He's standing in a boat that's rocking. And then they would put this massive photo of a catfish like it looked like it was about to eat him. <laughs> It's like before <laughs> Photoshop, they could just like put these things together. Oh God. Anyway, I don't know why I'm telling you about that. But the, oh yeah, the animal thing, mm-hmm. you know, that to see that snapshot of a of a a wildlife scenario that just doesn't exist anymore mm-hmm. is such a crazy thing to have mm-hmm. in the permanent record. Like these exist yeah, and they've been digitized and now they're out there for the as long world. as we've got. Yeah, yeah, anybody can see them.
2: Their well, originally we were talking about if you go into somebody's house and yes. you'll you'll blow past the the landscapes, but once there's signs of life, mm-hmm. humans, you stop, right?
1: Yeah. If these were postcards of just cool landscapes of just Ansel Adams postcards, it's like yeah. okay, nice job, Ansel Adams. Congratulations. Yeah. You're it's beautiful. Yeah. You're a very sensitive guy. Where's that giant catfish trying to eat that guy again? That's yeah. oh, fucking
2: hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think ego's probably a driver, curiosity's a driver. I'm thinking, like, why we why we stop on those? I think ego is one of them. Like, yeah, you want
1: to see yourself. Mm-hmm.
2: What, or, right? How am I like this person? Not like this yeah, person. Totally. We all have some sort of sense of judgment, even mm-hmm. though I really, really try hard not to navigate my life without judgment. But it does happen. It's a and survival that's the mechanism. the ego, right? Yeah. in us that does that. Um, and that is all based on. Fear of shame and judgment. I go right back to the it. Calculus. Obviously, I'm a big fan of Brene Brown. I don't know if you are. But, oh,
1: man, that's um, so funny. I was just talking to Brett <clears> about <throat> Brene Brown and her letter to uh, Agnes DeMint.
2: I don't know the letter. Oh, my
1: God. Every single time I talk to Brett, he brings this letter up. We talked about <laughs> it in the podcast. With you what did. I, yes, I made fun of him for it. I love it. I, yeah. I love it. But yeah, sorry, what were you going to say, Brene?
2: No, just... The first time I listened to Brene uh, or Redder, her, um, everything started to make a lot of sense in my own life. Mm-hmm. And then all the things I'd studied about kids, observed about kids, mm-hmm. all started to make sense. Then I started to deconstruct where I come from and my family mm-hmm. and the toxicity and poor Decision making. Oh, that yeah. started to make sense. <laughs> yeah. All because of this theory or idea. And in my opinion, the truth, which is we are creatures driven by the fear of judgment and shame. Yeah.
1: Which is funny that you're wanting to record things for all of time. Because what that's a thing that, at least like in our hunter gatherer days when we were banned from a tribe, at least that we knew that when everybody else was dead. Be forgotten, mm-hmm. but now we can record these moments of shame yeah. for eternity.
2: Because if you take, if you take away the the, if you take away the power, you take away the fear of shame and judgment. It no longer has power.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So right. when. You, I want to get to this um, embedding yourself in people's homes.
2: Okay.
1: I know we're, I don't know where we are in time. Uh, It's been a long day for you guys. You've you've done some traveling. It's late for you. It's two hours. Two hours? Just an hour. Just an hour? Oh, well, fuck it. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Listen, we've gone two days without children. So that is like, that's like you you gain 20 hours (laughs) in a day just by not having the kids. Yeah.
1: You've not had to be a short order cook today. (laughs) So, um, well when you're when you're embedding yourself in these people's homes and you know, you, you have done I guess you have done some just families who just wanna document what it was like to be in that house that year.
2: mostly, yeah. But
1: you've also had some fairly sensitive not maybe not sensitive, no, but no, very, I've
2: shot some pretty sensitive yeah, um, like content. Um
1: end of life things, yes. people with with children who are not expected to live long. Like Yes children with disabilities, a lot of things that are like, pull at the heartstrings type of thing. But what I noticed, and you can obviously correct me here, but what I noticed in the book anyhow, is when you're shooting those things, you're not highlighting the sadness or the disability or the, it's not like fetishizing the, the trauma or the sadness. It's just like, and here's Jenna. You know,
2: I'm very conscientious of not exploiting mm-hmm. the people that trust me to photograph their life. Yeah. Including when I photographed my father, my pops in the last four years at four years, four months of his life. Wow. I simultaneously was his primary care um, all the way through hospice. And I documented the entire experience. Mm-hmm. And I was very careful to not edit myself or make it look better than the reality of it was, but also to um, be ethical in my coverage of that and respectful that not because they were my parents, but just because they were two human beings. Yeah.
1: Isn't it wild to be like you're cognizant of an aspect ratio and the lighting and the timing, but you're still thinking of an ethical framework
0: because mm-hmm. yes. it
1: they almost seem like they can't go together mm. do you know what i mean like to if you're gonna like line something up just right to capture this moment, but is it the right moment you know or is it this you know do you know what I'm saying like how to keep the ethics of it while still being professionally adept Mm -hmm. and making it interesting in a visual sense.
2: I think that it's a two part thing. Um, the first part is in how you communicate, interact with, engage with, connect with those that you're photographing in the moment. Mm -hmm. I spend all day the entire amount of time I'm with people being present. Um, I think that there's ideas uh that a documentary photographer, journalist, more so a journalist may do this, but documentary photographer, just like the best way to get a candid photo is to be a fly on the wall. And that is actually the worst way to do it. Uh, <laughs> I'm laughing just to give this example. I was teaching a class and I asked the students their <laughs> their assignment was to photograph strangers in public because that can be really hard for people, right? Yeah. And I was like ideally I want them like out there talking to people and photographing them and like getting trust or whatever. And I was going through the the critique and the students photos ca- came You know, they were up next, and I'm looking at them, and it's with a really long lens, and it's in the woods. Oh, my God. People running in a— Oh, oh um, my God. On a trail. Yeah. But then, like, at some point, like, the photographer is, like, behind a tree. (laughs) Oh, my
1: God. It's like— Talk about hunting.
2: Let's just call her Jen, right? Like, I don't even remember which student it was. I'm like, Jen— don't ever, ever do this again. And she was like, "What?" Like I, I was like, "You're more likely to have the cops called on you for hiding behind a tree, a hundred feet away with a long lens photographing strangers than yeah. you are to just use your thirty-five and run run alongside them and photograph them." Yeah. yeah, I was, oh my God. Di- I was dying laughing and then horrified at the same yeah. time. Right? Yeah. <laughs> my my saying is, the more present I am, the more invisible my camera becomes. So
0: mm.
2: going back to your original question, like throughout the day, I am super present. I am asking a lot of questions out of curiosity and genuine interest in getting to know these people. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm wanting to connect on a very human, genuine level. Uh, I'm asking the kids a lot of questions. We're having a lot of conversations yeah. about what they think about their life, their family members, their school, yeah. themselves, um, wow. their pets. Uh, I'm laughing with them. I'm joking with them. I'm commenting on their their favorite things, their least favorite things. Um I'm just a friend hanging out with them for the day. I happen to have my camera with me, right. and that is how I get access to everything, but especially with sensitive topics yeah. uh sensitive scenarios um I don't shy away from myself feeling uncomfortable. yeah you feeling uncomfortable can or the fear of feeling uncomfortable can really be the biggest barrier between you and good pictures you and and life experience you and showing up the way that you want to show up sure um and and i don't shy away from that i'm i just plow right through it uh i i I just told the story uh i photographed a family I really connected, I connected with all of them, but I really connected with dad that day. He was so awesome. Like we, I don't know where we were, but there was a big koi fish pond outside and I have a photo of him with his youngest crouched down. The fish had swam up to them and I have a photo of him petting the fish. Like he was the sweetest, kindest man. And I just, I thought he was the best dad. and. I got an email two weeks uh, after the shoot from the wife's good friend saying, "I hate to like send this message, but something has happened to Dad. They're getting ready for a funeral. I know you probably haven't looked at the photos yet. Is there any way you can get a couple? It's the last photos they have of him." Wow. I just picked up the phone and called mom immediately. There was no hesitation. I most people will not do that. Like it, it's a very uncomfortable. Moment, A lot of people don't even know how to handle when somebody has lost someone, but I just called right away and she answered and we talked and, uh, he took his own life. Um, and she said to me, I knew our budget really did not allow me to afford to hire you, but I had a feeling this was the last summer my kids were going to have with their dad. Whoa. Wow. And I'm so glad that I not only went and shot, but that I picked up the phone and called her because then we started connecting and she told me it, she had shared some details and I, I told her this is the exact same way that my grandmother's second husband passed and um, there's things that happen when your partner uh, dies by a gun specifically um, and the partner will be investigated in the beginning. It's just like protocol, but it can be very traumatic, right. For that, that partner. And I was able to provide her with, um, support that I never thought I could, but I know the whole story about what happened with my grandmother. And so I was able to say, Hey, this is, this is actually normal. This is what happens. Um, they don't, I'm sure they don't think that you've done anything. Um, but I'm here to like support you in any way that I can, but, Th- this is the exact same thing that happened to my grandmother oh. um yeah so don't shy away from uncomfortable ever yeah. and again i think this is why um, people trust me like and i get access not because i'm anything special but but i'm not afraid to like um avoid anything that might make right. me feel uncomfortable yeah. yeah yeah
0: it's
1: funny that's that's a good trait in a lot of professions is to approach it I mean, you approach it, you are an invited guest in their home. Yeah. And, you know, the fly in the wall is not an invited guest. That's no. a sneaky little fucker <laughs> that you'd wish could figure out how to fly out of the open half yeah. of the half open window. Yeah. But, you know, the invited guest is a different thing. And if the invited guest isn't engaging, you're like, well, I'm not inviting them They're over here, Yeah, weird, again. right? Yeah.
2: There, I can't tell you how many times uh, the first time I've met dad.
1: It's just weird about it and did not want to.
2: Oh no it's at like seven a.m in the morning and I'm in the bed with them oh my because God. I've arrived to shoot and I haven't met dad yet I might have met mom before yeah um and they're all snuggling in bed with the kids and okay that's where they are so I'm gonna I'm get in there in. take yeah. my shoes off get in i it has happened multiple times where I'm leaning over shooting and dad's giving me that I'm like I know this is a very weird strange awkward way for us to meet for the first time but you'll get over it and (laughs) we're gonna be friends like and i just again address what's weird and awkward yeah and then it's gone it doesn't have the power anymore because Mm -hmm. it's it's been confronted and addressed
1: you know my mom um was a nurse her whole career Mm -hmm. and when she first started she would um when she was doing like her clinicals Mm
0: -hmm.
1: her preceptor or whatever was like You know, just constantly giving her very similar assignments every day. Mm -hmm. And my mom finally asked, hey, look, I'm not complaining, but I I have a lot of terminal patients. Mm. Why? You know, is there something? She's like, you're just not afraid.
0: Mm -hmm. You're
1: not afraid. You don't talk to them like Mm there's something different. You don't treat them differently. You treat those dying people the same way you treat everybody else. And my mom had had experience with dying. She nearly died. Mm -hmm. And uh, some something in her. She always wanted to be a nurse. But something about that person explaining to her how fearlessness was integral to being normal in the situation empowered her and guided her, I think. I mean, she references that as like a turning point in her ideation of her career, like how she figured out what to do as a career and the fearlessness and the approach that you just described is like, I'm supposed to be here. Mm Mm-hmm. This yeah. is, yeah, I'm I'm here. We're doing this. Yeah. <laughs> Get used yeah. to me, Dad. <laughs> yeah. Go brush your teeth and take a picture of your kids.
2: <laughs> there was um, another scenario. Uh, I mean, I, I have countless stories uh, about experiences in the field. I arrived to the family's house the night before, woke up first thing in the morning. Mom pulled me aside and said, I'm starting to freak out, Kirsten. I hired someone last year. And my husband got spooked and he left for the day. And I have photos of me and my kids, but he's not in any of them. And now he's talking about leaving again. He just doesn't feel comfortable. And I was like, well, I'm not letting this happen again to you. And I went into the kitchen and I put down my camera and I spent about an hour talking to him, uh, asking him questions and finding out what we had in common and vested interest in who he was, where he came from, yeah. what he liked. And it only took, it took less than an hour for us to really like become buds. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and he goes, do you like amusement parks? And I said, I do. I grew up going to Cedar point with my dad in a coaster park in Ohio. And my dad's the one who like taught me about the love of, have a good coaster and he's like, Yeah. Okay, because it's my favorite place to go with my girls. Would you be open to going to the amusement park today with us? Cause I'd really like to go there. And Sweet. I said a hundred percent yes. Learned a lot of lessons. Uh one being, uh do not get on the swings and photograph backwards the oh entire time. God. <laughs> I ended up throwing up. Oh. I got off and throw up threw God. up. But um, oh, that I am,
1: just makes me a little queasy thinking about yeah, it. Cool. I am
2: so grateful that I took the time to see him as a human, to mm-hmm. be human with him, to provide him with a, a space of safety, with that, and to non-verbally communicate, I'm not here to judge you. I'm just here to hang out with you. Yeah. Because he died in a motorcycle accident oh like six months later. And... Now the girls, for the rest of their life, have photos of them spending the day with their dad doing his favorite thing to do with them.
1: Wow! I just want you to know, right now, I'm specifically not making a joke about you going to people's houses and them dying after you leave. I know. I'm not making that joke.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's really. It's just a matter of remembering that life is fragile, right? And I believe that there's. I'm, I'm not really religious uh, at all, I'm pretty agnostic, but I do subscribe to the idea that the universe puts me in places I'm supposed to be. That's what I think. Yeah.
1: I mean, if you, I feel like if you've got a solid sense of purpose, which you definitely seem to have from the little bit that I've mm-hmm. experienced in being around you, you have a very clear drive to do what you're doing. and when you have that, well, you, of course, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Cause you're, everything that you're doing is in service of that purpose.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, yeah, of course, mm-hmm. wherever you go, that's where you're supposed to be.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's a very, I don't know what that feels like, but I love it. When I hear mm-hmm. people describe it, all the like, well, people, people that are like, content and satisfied and, and have like a, a joyous experience. Not that they're just like, you know, tits over heels, happy mm-hmm. all the time, but they're just, they're well, mm-hmm. they all have that same thing. Like mm-hmm. that sense of, this is what I'm supposed to do with my time. This is what I, these are my talents. This is what mm-hmm. I can do well. Here's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. So that's a gift, man. That's a really cool thing. And I, I I mean, if I hired a plumber to come over that had that same You know, like, hey, this is what I do. I know how to fix stuff. And this is what I'm here. I I would feel comfortable to let them, you know. Yes. And that's what you want. You want whoever you invite into your home. You want them to experience whatever degree of welcome
2: that you can
1: give them. Right. And it sounds like you that's the thing that separates you from maybe someone else is that you show up and you're like, okay, I'm welcome. Great. Mm -hmm. I feel welcome. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, experience that with you.
2: Yeah, I don't want to. I, I don't want to miss any opportunity I have when I'm in their home. Yeah. Right? I, yeah. Yeah. That's so I mean, cool. I've gone to the hospital with families. Like, wow. accidents have happened. And it just talked about this in the workshop. They were like, so did you have a conversation beforehand or during it? Do you want me to keep shooting? And I said, no. I had already spent 12 hours with them. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we need to talk about if I should be photographing the kid who might've just broken his arm. Right. No, I'm just going to keep shooting.
1: We're yeah. going, we're yeah.
2: in and we're going, we're all going to the hospital together. <laughs> like, That's yeah. amazing. Yeah.
1: So um, where can people find your work? What's the best place to to check out what you're doing?
2: So probably Instagram is the easiest to get links to see everything else. Yeah. Um, uh, Kirsten L. Photog is my handle. K-I-R-S-T-E-N-L yeah. and then Photog, P-H-O-T-O-G. And then there's like a link tree or whatever. And, right. And,
1: but don't you do you have KirstenLewis.com?
2: Yeah. So I have KirstenLewisPhoto.com. Photo. Okay. And I have um, Kirsten okay. Rebecca Bethman is my legal name okay. now. And that's where all my editorial work is. Right. My nonprofit work, my personal project work. Um, and... Strictly, my family work is on the Kirsten Lewis photo. Okay, yeah.
1: Well, I'm uh, I'm a fan of what you're doing, and not just because you're in the family of people that I love and care <laughs> about, but I just I, I genuinely like what you're doing. I have a soft spot for good photography and for storytelling. Oh, thanks. And I like any kind of storytelling. I mean, basically all kinds of storytelling, but any kind that's like derived from such simple little tiniest slivers the droplet you know this the the literal shutter flash Mm -hmm. is it's an alchemy to me Mm. you know to take i mean a frozen instant and to be able to get an entire story from that is so fucking cool no so yeah i i i'm glad that you're doing it i'm glad that you're teaching other people how to empower themselves to do it and um i don't know any way that can support that journey or turn people onto it, I'm 100% there. So when your book comes out, Amazing. does it have a name?
2: Yep. Un- unsupervised. Yeah, Unsupervised. Yeah.
1: Unsupervised.
2: It's had the name for a very long time. I've been working on it for, this is year 12. No shit. It's had its name for about eight years. Yeah.
1: It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I love the interactive component. Yeah. You can't. I, won't, I mean, I don't just,
2: mind talking about it, but yeah, the, the, it, is, it cool. is inspired by my favorite book as a kid growing up that had so much impact on yeah. me and the, the adventures of Griffin and Sabine and so yeah there's I, I don't want anybody to steal I don't
1: want anybody to, st- steal. Want ah. anybody to steal it because it's not out yet Yeah. and I've not really seen I mean I've seen similarish things but yeah. sorry don't tell anybody yet it's a surprise and it's well worth it <laughs> okay. when it comes out it'll be worth every nickel okay. Um. and yeah thank you for doing this thanks for having me
0: You're crossing a river to put it between us Wide in the night And everyone sees it, even my mother She asks after you And I'm your defender, my sword and my shield Laid at your feet
1: Hey friends, did you like that episode? I sure did. If you're enjoying this program, you can support it by giving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you have the opportunity to do so. You can also send us a note at rbwpod.com forward slash contact. We'd love to hear from you with any questions, concerns, requests, story ideas, recipes, bogus fortunes, or political rants. As always, if you got a story to share, we want to hear it. Wishing you and yours the very best of everything. Less than average amounts of bullshit. Until next time, loving you.